and welcome to a special edition of the McGregor Podcast. I'm Mark Bricker, your host for this special Hot Topic Podcast. Recently on a Wednesday night, as part of our Journey Together ministry, we hosted a Hot Topic night with Pastor Russell Howard leading. The topic, Thinking Biblically About Religious Liberty. And joining me now is Pastor Russell. Hi, Brother Mark. Hey, and welcome to the question and answer, or as we like to call it, the Q&A, part of this special series on religious liberty. So where did the questions come from? They came from those folks that were there on that Wednesday night when we recorded this series live. Wow, I appreciate people being engaged enough to to not only come up with some questions, but to share them with us. Yeah, and that's what we're, and we've done this a couple times with different hot topics. And so we're gonna go through several of these questions and we'll go for a while and uh, see how long it lasts. The very first question is one that is based off of Acts chapter five, verse 29. So we'll go ahead and give that to you as well as our listeners in case they wanna look that up. And here's the question. Would Acts 529 qualify as a, an end quote, obligation, and that was part of your teaching, one of your major outline sections, would that qualify as an obligation of a Christian as defined in your lesson? Yeah, I really really think it would. In fact, it it might be the single most clear example of what I I hope to say. My, My uh, to give some context, my statement was that there's a there's a baseline paragraph in Romans 13, the first part of that chapter that that essentially says r- to remember that that God has put civil government in place for His purposes, mm-hmm. and we are obligated to live submiss- submissively in our relationship to those civil authorities uh, as a as a sort of a starting point. Which begs the question, are there not exceptions to that? Now, one exception that doesn't exist is, well, I'll just dismiss a lot of them because I don't like the way things are being governed in my in my world, whether I'm talking about Lee County or Tallahassee or Washington, D.C. or the U.N. or something. I don't, I don't like their style of governments, therefore I'm checking out. Well, you're the very one this paragraph is written to, so right. be careful with... You know, sort of broad anarchist uh, exceptions. Uh, but what about when they give direction that's directly at odds with something that God has said? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I commend the person who asked that question because I think they have hit upon the clearest example. The apostles have been, have been preaching Jesus in the temple and they get arrested. This is Acts 5. And in the, in the hearing with the ruling council, if you go back a verse to um, Acts 5, 28, um, well, leading into verse 28, and the high priest questioned them saying, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. They are saying, we told you not to talk about Jesus. And Peter's response is, but Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. There it is, Mark. Mm-hmm. When, the, when the civil magistrate, when the, when the civil power puts us at a fork in the road where one direction is submission to them, but that is clearly at odds with the direction that is obedient to Christ, we have no, we have no choice. We are obligated to be obe- obedient to Christ, which is what Peter's saying here. You, you have ordered us not to share the gospel. Mm-hmm. There is no chance that's going to happen. Can you think of another example that... Um in your lifetime where you've seen perhaps something that would go at odds against what God's word has commanded? You know, um, during the, the COVID shutdown, 
there were, again, not in our jurisdiction. Uh, Mark, our, our listeners may recall that here at McGregor, we, we shut down our Sunday morning gathering for, I think, about six weeks. Hmm. And we, yeah. were, we were all in undiscovered country. We did everything we could to maintain and, and take up a notch our virtual connections. What we did not do is reach a point where the civil government in our region was telling us churches may not meet. Right. Well, churches are required to assemble. We are commanded to meet. And we took a six, you know, if we had known at, the, at that time what we were up against, maybe we'd have made a different decision. I'm not going to second guess us now with the benefit of the passage of time. But at that time, there were churches in numerous jurisdictions, uh, some in the United States and some up in Canada, that kept on meeting anyway in spite of the order to do otherwise. I commend them for doing that. Right. Um, you cannot say, well, Hebrews uh, 10, 24, 25 can be set aside if the government asks us nicely. I don't, I don't think so. Uh, I don't think so. So that was another clear example. And there may be others. We're dealing with situations now where the uh, the encroaching ideas of the culture on marriage, for example. Mm-hmm. At McGregor, if you are not one man and one woman, you're not a married couple here. Uh, you might be a married couple out on Colonial Boulevard, but once you step into the world of 3750 Colonial Boulevard, certainly as a guest, you're welcome, but you can't be a member and hold that view uh, that marriage is something different than one man and one woman. Right. Um, and some churches have made the papers for holding that position. I don't mind that we haven't. I don't crave being but in there. There will come a day when we sure probably there will. will. Sure yes. there will. And I think you made this statement in a sermon recently that even some of the things that we're able to still say publicly from our pulpit, if you lived north of the United States, yeah. you could go to jail for now. Yeah, yeah. A, 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 straightforward of, a straightforward exposition of, for example, Romans chapter 1. A straightforward exposition of Romans 1 is a hate crime mm-hmm. in, in some Canadian jurisdictions. Yeah, so it's coming. Uh, next question. What does the Bible say about government mandating the COVID vaccine? Ah, the COVID vaccine. And their follow-up kind of second question was, if you got one, were you disobeying God's word? And also in regard to polio vaccines and flu shots as right. other examples. I'm going I'm to start at the second question first. Was it, was it sin to take the COVID vaccine? I, I, I just can't imagine. Uh, I can't find any scriptural basis for, for concluding that it was sin. No. Um, one of the cultural side effects that I think we're going to be dealing with years to come Cultural, not medical. I'm not a entire, I'm not a, equipped to talk about medical issues, but in terms of cultural, the ham-fisted way in which the vaccine mandates kind of became a cultural litmus test for who was a decent person who could you know participate in society. About your who, neighbors. Yeah, all this rhetoric was piled on that by the government. Um, it has led to a, a, a increase in a generalized anti-vax mentality and yay way to welcome back polio and smallpox right yeah. so so um, i don't i don't think so in terms of, of of general views of vaccine now the the covid vaccine itself and i'm going to i'm going to answer the i'm going to try to answer the question precisely the way it was asked given the definition of conviction that i have previously outlined mm-hmm that there is a clear 
basically a paragraph of scripture that speaks to this particular thing. I don't know that given that definition of conviction that one can call a very strongly held view against the vaccine a conviction. Now, if one believed that to take the vaccine was self-harm, I'm being asked to stick a knife in my chest or something morally equivalent, then I suppose you could land it there. Mm-hmm. We were very careful during the height of all that, and this would be our position going forward, that um, your, your relationship with your physician matters. You know, I'm, I'm not a young man, and, and I've made no secret. I've got some chronic health things that I deal with. Um, get a doctor that you really trust mm-hmm. and work out your medical issues with your doctor. We were, what we could not do, and I bugged a couple of people. There were, there were a couple of times during the thick of all that that I was invited to sign a, uh, a, a conviction-type statement for uh, people, that, people that I care about. Yeah, the, the difficulty with that is, Mark, the convictions of McGregor Baptist Church are defined in a confession of faith. Doesn't say anything about COVID Doesn't say anything about COVID vaccination. And I'm neither empowered nor inclined to unilaterally reform those convictions. So McGregor Baptist Church has no position on COVID vaccination. It is a matter of of conscience. And keep in mind that conviction cannot be merely passionately held preference. Mm. Yeah. It's a tricky one. And and right on the nose. I know navigating through all that back in the uh, winter, spring of 20, that was... uh, that was, we, we prayed that God would give us wisdom through all that. And we were very blessed as, you know, going through that, that we didn't end up in some of the miry discussions and yeah. arguments that I know some churches and some areas and, ended up having. And so. we take it serious. I mean, we, 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 we've attended, we've officiated the funerals. Um, there's no one here who believes that that disease is not quite real. Hmm. Um, we have been dealing with, deadly infections longer than all of us have, have been here. So the idea, of, uh, the idea of death and our interaction to it shouldn't paralyze us. Right. Absolutely. And it shouldn't drive us to disobedience. No. This kind of goes along with that. Um, it says, would McGregor close its doors again if the government mandated it as during the COVID year for some? Um, I am only one of a body of elders, so I'm not really empowered to answer that question, so I'm going to substitute a different question. Would there be among the elders, and transparently I would pray a majority of the elders, I may as well just say it, that would say no. The government, the government is beyond their righteous jurisdiction to order us to disobey the mandate of scripture that the body of Christ is to assemble. Mm. Uh, I think I actually said the night that, that I taught in fellowship hall, um, would you, would you cross a police line to come to church? Um, because there are parts of the world where yep. one does yeah. or the equivalent of that. Um, so the police have said not to do it is not a reason to disobey God's commandment to assemble. Yeah. And it goes back to 
Acts 5? It does. It does. Yeah. Are we going to obey God or are we going to obey man? There it is. And we have, and I think you've used this phrase a lot, we have lived in such a bubble. Oh, yeah. We've had this kind of oasis, um, both both geographically and historically, to, to have been a, a citizen of the United States of America in this particular era, whatever you want to define that to be, is to have um, kind of, kind of, you, we have been allowed, like few in history, to center our perceptions on a persecution-free Christianity. Mm-hmm. But, Mark, that's not normal on earth in the 21st century. Geographically, it's an exception. And it's not normal down the history of Christianity, so historically it's an exception. Yeah. And we start normalizing our tiny little oasis and forget that we are in a desert of persecution we can act as though some completely bizarre exception is happening should we encounter authentic persecution. Yeah. And that's not fair to, to, to the flow of 2,000 years of Christian history. No. All right, next question. How prepared is the church to support members who have not only lost jobs, but professions? And I guess they're referring to the, the implication for me was somebody that was willing to take a stand and, and not disobey God or not obey man, but to, but to follow God. Yeah, it's, it's not, that, not that hard to imagine. Suppose that someone in the medical profession is required by their state licensing agency to sign an agreement to provide certain sorts of, of treatment you know, abortion is, a, is, a, is an example, um, or to participate in other things that violate um, at least conscience, possibly conviction. And if you don't sign this, you cannot practice in the state of Florida. Well, suddenly someone who has been a highly educated, highly trained medical practitioner <coughs> is suddenly unemployable. Mm-hmm. You know, how ready is the church to support? We're not. Um, I pray we would be. What we have demonstrated as a body of Christ at McGregor is that we are ready to support one another in a season where some among us are badly hurting. We have Ian, and this church's response to that is a very raw, still in some ways ongoing Mm -hmm. example of that. So specifically ready, I would, it hadn't, it hasn't happened yet. generally the sort of people who could quickly be ready, I think we are. Yeah. I think we are. And I think that's a good and good analogy of how we've come through with Ian and how we have supported one another, ministered to one another, served one another, given to one another to get folks through that. And could we have done more? Oh, I'm sure we could have, but it was perhaps in God's providential way of preparing us for maybe some of these things that are coming down the road where we will see members willing to take a stand for their faith and it costing them financially. You know, we, we talk about uh, missional living and sacrificial giving and our generous giving and sacrificial love all as part of our mission statement. Mm-hmm. And all of those, I think, arise from thinking biblically, the four metrics right. of our mission statement and a persecution environment or a convictionally driven economic crisis type environment will sure give us a chance to demonstrate whether we mean any of that or not. Yeah. I've known people that have 
left their job, stepped down, sometimes without even having another job, just because of the the moral climate in the job or expectations uh, on the person were just pushing them. But I don't know if I've ever known anybody that has lost their job simply because, oh, you're a, you're a believer uh, and you're not willing to affirm these non-Christian. Yeah, there are, there are atmospheric things in a lot of big corporate workplaces. Right. Um, you know, all of us have friends. Uh, I say us, those of us who work here at the church. We have friends that work out in various, various uh, not just the small mom and pops, but in, in large companies. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're all already being, being put in the, uh, you know, the, the tolerance seminars and the, and the yeah. sorts of things that, that would make a Bible-believing Christian sort of hold their nose to get through it. It's the DEI, diversity. There Equity and inclusiveness. There it is. It is a reflection of the commonly held core beliefs yeah. regarding coherent social order. I think every corporation, every school now has that right. DEI and statement. They don't do that because it's been legally forced upon them. <laughs> they do it because the spirit of the times requires it. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. And what's interesting is, and it's changing the subject a little bit, but those those statements or not only are they in higher education, but now we're seeing them fall into medical schools, legal schools. Mm-hmm. And so the faculty, not just the faculty are having to affirm those DEI statements, but now pretty soon it will be incoming students that are also, and so talk about changing what you know your profession may have to be or- Correct. Correct. Yeah, a, lot of, a lot of implications. And again, it's nothing that's being mandated by the government. It's all in those commonly held core beliefs. Absolutely. Yeah. Certainly all decent people feel this way. Therefore, yeah. if you don't feel this way, you certainly are not a decent person. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, another question. With regards to the topics of arms slash defense, to what extent does the believer take? Uh, do we fully submit to the authorities unless there is a biblical reason not to? Yeah. His second, his second question answers his first. Mm-hmm. Again, I've, I've broadly said that it is, a, it is a biblically clear convictional imperative that allows me to say, oops, I can set aside a whole paragraph of Romans 13. The further I get into constructing arguments that are not directly rooted in scripture, the further I get from sort of the safety, you know, again, the, the Acts 5 example that we talked about a few minutes ago is so crystal clear. You may not tell people about the resurrection of Jesus. Oh, oh I can't help but tell people about the resurrection of Jesus. Full disclosure, as I shared this night that I, I spoke about this in Fellowship Hall, I um, not desiring to alienate anyone or freak anyone out. I grew up in a very rural setting. I, I uh, my my cultural and personal background, my my have I, my one grandfather was a law enforcement officer. My mama's dad. I I uh, possess a decent collection of firearms. Compared to some, it's not big. Compared to others, it's up. Oh, you have guns in your house, so I'm I you know I, I say that to say I have feelings about, and and there are certain of my firearms that would cause certain legislative initiatives to to not be happy mm. that I happen to own those particular firearms. So the question I have to wrestle through for myself is if something confiscatory happened, if something managed to ding the Second Amendment, uh, 
What I can't do is claim to have a scriptural level conviction based on my read of the Bill of Rights. The Bill of Rights is not the Word of God, and I've got to be crystal clear about that, mm. or I am risking idolatry. Um, I would struggle to raise my, my right to keep and bear arms to drive what I would call a biblical conviction, but I would have to think that through very carefully. Now, in terms of self-defense, the Old Testament law gives lots of provision for self-defense. And so um, there are two different things here. There's a self-defense principle, and then there's what hardware shall I use to do it? Um, and, and thinking that through, thankfully, is nothing that I've ever had to you know, they've never come down the street with the truck saying any firearm that meets the following qualifications, you've got to come and surrender it to us. Um, it would not be for me as simple as, was it Charlton Heston? You can have it when you pry it from my cold, dead hands. It wouldn't be quite that simple for me. Yeah. I'd have to think that through. And I, I appreciated your candor in, in the moment when you were teaching that night to share that because I think for some people, especially for that particular right that we have as Americans. It is it is held very, very closely and very, very dearly and almost to the point of what you how you had defined what a biblical conviction yeah. looks like. And to say, no, nope, that's probably not a biblical conviction. You know, the thing about thinking biblically, God's word challenges and changes me. Hmm. If you're a Christian uh, listening to our podcast today uh, and you can't think of the last time God's word challenged and changed something in your framework, then one of two things is true. Either you've arrived and need not grow any further, ha, <laughs> or you're not growing. Right. God's word challenges and changes us. And thinking about this, I've never thought about before that specific example and how to overlay biblical conviction with really strongly held preference because you can't have them. Yeah. They're mine. <laughs> um, but yeah. It's not that simple. Yeah, that's that's quite a, a sidebar, but what a great sidebar to, to talk about. If you if God and his word has not changed how you think about something or even how you behave uh, recently, then you're not growing. Yeah, you're done? No. What, you're and done? We know you're not done. Everybody, no. knows, no, nobody's arrived. Yeah, yeah so, so good word on that. All right, well, I think we're gonna wrap up our Q&A session and uh, appreciate our folks I that- hope it's been helped. That uh, sent in questions and appreciate Great. you, Pastor Russell, taking the time to sit down and do a Q&A session relating to this. And I'm sure that if somebody had a question that they thought of after listening to this, that they weren't there and they sent an email to russell.howard.mcgregor.net, they'd probably get an answer, wouldn't they? I hope they'd get one pretty promptly. I, yeah. I hover over that email. I know you're good at you're good at doing that. All right, well, thank you for listening to this special McGregor podcast entitled Thinking Biblically About Religious Liberty, our Q&A session, part three. And if you haven't listened to sessions one and sessions two, I would strongly encourage you to go back and take a listen to those. Thank you and God bless. 